You know, every morning or at some point of the day, these days, all of us are doing this. Which, because it's 2020, we all know what this is. This is the universal sign for checking your newsfeed. Universal sign for figuring out what's going on in the province, what's going on in the country, what's going on in my city. What am I allowed to do today? These are strange times we're living in. Now, a couple of decades ago, this, of course, did, you all knew what I meant when I did that, but a couple of decades ago, this would be like, you know, he's, he's trying to light a cigar. He's, a couple of decades before that, he's trying to light his barbecue before that. He's, he's hitchhiking. He's an, he's an indecisive hitchhiker. He wants a ride. He doesn't, now he doesn't want one. Now he does. We all know what this means because we're all doing it. We all need some good news. And we gather together for the Lord's table today. A sign that reminds us of the good news. A sign that, and a seal in our spirits that pulls us out of the day-to-day, that pulls us out of the immediacy of the moment, the, the small volatility that is our day-to-day and the week-to-week, and it pulls us into the grand narrative of God's goodness, of His grace, and of the eternal. Something that our souls most desperately need. And uh, in a world that is fragile... Uh, and where our hope is kind of as temporary as the next thing that we happen to see in our news feed, uh, what we need is hope that's like an anchor. The gospel is this good news for us, and news is this thing that happens outside of us, that has implications for us, that's coming towards us, that's to us, and so we gather and we we celebrate it. We've been looking at um, the book of James, the wisdom literature of the New Testament. We're going to continue to look there to ask ourselves the question, uh, as those who rest in the goodness of God's grace, how do we now live? As those who uh, are reminded week by week of the goodness of a God who transcends uh, you know, our moment, how do we live in light of this? Do we have a sense of joy and a sense of peace where our hearts and minds can be recalibrated to God's goodness? Or do we essentially live just as worried and anxious as everybody else, only we got an appointment we got to keep on Sunday? And what the, what, the, what the letter of James is really getting at is the impact that God's goodness and grace has on our life and the life that we live as a result of his goodness. James chapter 1, starting in verses 16 to 18. Don't be deceived, my brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from God above, coming down from the Father of lights. Who does not change like the shifting shadows? He chose to give us new birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he created. This is God's word. Now, James is a pastor, and as a pastor of the church in Jerusalem, he knows in a, in a real intimate way that everybody's life is hard. Right? All of us who are in this room have things that we celebrate in our lives and also simultaneously things that could bring us to tears. The reality of life is that globally speaking, culturally speaking, it's short and hard. And for as many of you who woke up this morning and you said, you know what, life is good. I give it a solid three stars. Things are okay. You're quite possibly sitting next to somebody who woke up this morning and said, life is unbearable. I got to move heaven and earth just to come to church because I know I need God's grace. We are all living within the reality of this paradox of of difficulty. And James knows that. And so he's writing it, uh, writing a text to a church who uh, has to grapple with the trials and the hard times of life. He starts out in this, ver- in this uh, text we read this morning, and of course we came in mid-conversation, and he says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived about what? Well, because up to this point, what he's done in, in his letter in James is he said, 
we're going to have trials. And when we're in those trials, there's joy that's available to us. And we have that joy not because we're happy about the trial. Uh, we have that joy because in it, God matures us. He forges wisdom. In the trial and the hardship, he forges resilience. His, 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 the goodness of his grace becomes a reality because he is with us and faithful even in the midst of the hard times. And so on the heels of that, James goes on to say um, to us, you know, if you're a Christian who's in humble circumstances and you can't make ends meet, you don't know how you're going to pay your bills, your identity shouldn't be located in that, but in the goodness that you're a child of God. He will provide for you. And if you happen to be a Christian who's rich, you can't put all of your trust in the riches because they're going to fade like the flower. Your life is going to fade like the flower. So you actually got to locate your identity the same place that the humble Christian needs to locate their identity, which is in Christ alone. And so on the back of all of this call to get us to really grapple with what our anchor is in hard times, he says, look, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from God above. And so what we don't want to do is be deceived into thinking that the gift that is given for our enjoyment of life somehow can within itself sustain our life. Somehow the gift, the good and beautiful thing that we enjoy is somehow going to uh, uh, get us through a life that is unbearable. It says don't be deceived about where we're going to locate our hope uh, in the midst of all of these uh, difficult times. We have to ask ourselves a question. The question is, where do we go when we're stressed and when we're sad? Where do we go when we're anxious and when we're worried? Because whatever that routine is that we do to get us out of the funk, that routine is our religion. Whatever we turn to to get us out of the funk, that's our little God. James calls us away from all of these things. He says, don't be deceived. And then, of course, he talks about this good and these good and beautiful gifts. And the reason he, he takes us there is because, of course, he wants the, his church, and I want this church, to not be tossed around by the difficulties of life or the reality of trying to get through life in COVID. And so he says, you know, even in the midst of all of these difficulties, there are these good and perfect gifts that God gives, these beautiful things. And what are these things? Well, theologians refer to this quite often as God's common grace. You know, his saving grace is that we trust in Christ alone. His forgiveness of sins, his perfect life, his atoning death, and his divine resurrection. And to place our trust and our life in him, we come to saving grace. But God has, God, because he is good and generous, gives the world, the earth, all humans, common grace. Just these beautiful gifts. The reality of things that make life enjoyable, regardless of whether they trust in him. These gifts are given by him. The music and the art and the literature and the architecture. The food and the drink and the glorious landscapes that we enjoy. The innovations of the human mind. The beautiful things created by the human spirit. All of these common things, good things. These are good and perfect gifts given to people who don't trust in God. But nevertheless, they come from God. Because of his great goodness. Because of his, his beautiful and incredible generosity towards us. All of these things. I mean, right now in COVID, across the world, we have men and women spanning countries and, and cultures who are using their God-given gifts and abilities to work on a vaccine. Doctors who are Christians and atheists and Muslims and Hindus and absolutely everything, you know, the worldview could conceive. They're all working together to try and help out humanity. That is a glorious gift. A beautiful and perfect gift. People just coming together in beautiful ways. Common grace. And so James says, don't be deceived. All of these good and perfect gifts are from God above. They come down from the Father of lights. 
They're there for you, even in the midst of your brokenness, that the God of grace gives you beauty, gives you beauty in the brokenness. But you have to look past that thing of beauty and don't make it your God, but look towards the Father of lights, to look towards the God who has, who has given it so that we can, it can be enjoyed. C.S. Lewis is a, uh, prominent, was a prominent writer and uh, Christian thinker. He was an atheist for much of his life. And he, when he came to faith in Christ, uh, you know, he was just a force for, for uh, the kingdom in a beautiful way and using his intellect to get us to think deeply about things. He wrote nine sermons called The Weight of Glory and The Weight of Glory was put together in this beautiful compilation. And in it, uh, C.S. Lewis gets us to think about the God behind the thing. And here's what he says. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We're half-hearted creatures, fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are too easily pleased. You see, James says, don't be deceived. Don't be too easily pleased. There's these glorious gifts that are given to you, beauty in the brokenness for you to be enjoyed. But don't make that routine your religion and don't make that little thing your God. It is incapable to quench the thirst of the human soul, the, the need for peace and, and, and quiet that we need even in these difficult days of COVID. To confuse the gift with the giver, that's to be too easily pleased. Just yesterday we were at the beach and because um, we're like, this might be the last beach day that we get, you know, for, for the, until next year. And I opened up the cooler and there's, there's some Cheetos in there. And every time I see Cheetos, there's this little thing that I always feel. And it's not because I'm juvenile and my, my taste buds are like a 10-year-old and I love Cheetos, although all those things are also true. It's because the Cheetos point me to something else. When Susan and I were on our honeymoon, we, which was, all, you know, 24 years ago, we did not have a lot of money when we first got married, which is most of the story of everybody who got married. And, uh, but 24 years ago, when we were like, could barely feed ourselves on our honeymoon, we ran out of money on the last day. And uh, the only thing we could afford to eat when we were so hungry walking through the airport was a bag of Cheetos. So we bought this bag of Cheetos and we shared this bag of Cheetos. And ever since then, I just have a real affinity for Cheetos. Because they, they, they point me to the greater thing. My wife, who I love. They, make, they remind me of something far deeper and richer than the air-filled pocket of MSG. As enjoyable as those are. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. But oh my goodness, don't put all your trust and hope in your Cheetos. Open up your portfolio, that's your Cheetos. How much money do we have? Those are my Cheetos. Your spouse, your relationship, the romance, the hope of this or the hope of that. Those are your Cheetos. How am I going to get through COVID? How, how can I advance my career, my education, get some letters after my name? Cheetos. It's all beautiful. It's all good. Those are all wonderful things. But they must point us to the one who can quiet our souls in a day when we are all craving something to quiet our souls. In uh, verse 18, it goes on. He says that God chose to give us new birth. And for those of you who are exploring Christian faith for the first time or you're new to the scriptures, I just want to point out that in the span of a few scriptures, we've got God depicting himself as the father of lights and giving birth, which of course is the duty of the mothers and all the women say, amen. So what we find here is that the nature of God beautifully uh, being represented to us in, as a father and doing the work of a mother and giving us new birth. 
And the picture of this new birth, which comes when we place our trust and our hope in Christ alone, um, it, it, what, it drink, what, it, what it makes us realize, what James is getting us to see is that salvation is a gift of grace because you don't earn your birth. It's a gift of grace, which then from the new birth leads to this glorious life of love and good works, which flow, of course, from the new birth. This new birth, which Jesus talked about in John 3, when he was meeting Nicodemus, a Pharisee at night, he said, you know, you need to be born again. This vernacular, when Jesus says born again, this new birth, when James brings it up, it conjures up this image of an infant, of total dependency. Look at all the little children in here. There's all these little kids. They're so cute. They're so dependent. This week, we, we ha- uh, saw Laura and... Uh, and Bruce, and Bruce was running around on, on the deck, and he took his face and he stuck it in a metal, uh, he took it, stuck his face in a, in a metal watering can, and he went, uh, and he heard his voice, and he liked the sound of his voice. So for the next 10 minutes, there was little Bruce. Uh, uh, uh. Now, there's a lot of sermon illustrations being made about loving the sound of our own voices and looking for echo chambers where everything we hear sounds like our voice, but that's a sermon for another day. But suffice it to say, that all of us are like Bruce. All of us are dependent. Jesus says what we need. What Jesus says is we need to be born again. What James says in this text is every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights. He has chosen to save you and give you this new birth by sheer grace. And there is a lot of joy to be had as you reflect on that. Like a little child, there is a humility and a confidence that comes with knowing that you are loved and cared for and cherished by your parents. There is a wisdom and a clarity with which we can approach life and go through the challenges of this next week when we, when we go about uh, life looking at the world and engaging in our trials with the eyes of a child of God who, we know, who uh, knows who they belong to. You know, he's this God of great generosity who has just given us this new birth of sheer grace. Charles Spurgeon comments on God's generosity in this way. He says, people who are generous need to have their generosity excited. They often need to be waited upon or appeals have to be laid before them. Or they must sometimes be pressed or an example of generosity has to be put in front of them to lead them on. But God of his own will, God did all of this, which is everything that needed to be done without any incentive or prompting, moved only by himself because he delights in mercy, because his name and nature are love. Because like the sun, it is natural for him to distribute the beams of his eternal grace. Which leads to my final thought as I close this morning. It's that this phrase, the father of lights, this God of grace, the one who, like the sun, streams forth this, this great grace. The text says here that our God, the father of lights, he doesn't change like the shifting shadows. And what does this mean? I mean, it's so important for us because in a world that every day our news feed is shifting and changing like shadows and the reality of the volatility of this world we live in, it seems like it's shifting like shadows. What does it mean? Well, the father of lights could be translated this way. Some of you have been in church for so long, you read scriptures like this a hundred times and just move past it. In the Greek, father of lights is pater ton proton. You recognize that word proton before we get our word proton from, the Father, the, the source and originator of the celestial lights. What lights were there in the ancient world but the stars in the sky? What is he getting at? Why do we have this? Because the stars that give light, they give light even when the earth rotates away and we can't see them. The stars are burning and giving light when our earth is pointed towards 
the sun in our corner of the world, and we can't see the rest of the stars, but yet we can't see them, and yet they're burning. And when the night comes and when the darkness falls, the darkness doesn't fall because there's a weakness or a deficiency in the sun. The darkness doesn't fall because there's an unpredictability in the sun. When darkness falls, there's no reason for us to doubt the goodness of the sun. When darkness falls, the sun shines as brightly as it did before. It is the earth that is turned from the sun, and the darkness comes. When we're crying, oh God, where are you? Oh God, where are you? Oh God, where are you? And there's despair. It's we who've turned. Our God shines brightly. He delights to give grace. He is available for you in the darkest and most tragic moments of your life. He is there for you in the sorrow and in the tears and in the, and in, and in the blackness. He is there for you in those moments when you say, I don't know that I can go through another week. What, what, stop the world, I want to get off. He is there for you, the Father of lights. And in those moments when we're saying, where is God? And we're so quick to say it. It's not him who's turned. We have turned. He burns bright. His warmth and his grace and his strength is there available for us. And may we turn back. And the good news of the gospel, church, is that God does not turn on us as easily as we turn on him. There is no shadow of turning, the text says. There's no shadow of turning with our God. There's no shadow of turning when God, with God when life rotates. Or a pandemic causes the world to, to rotate in a direction we don't like. Or we can't see him. Or our heart or our mind rotates. Or the affections that we're now chasing after rotates. Our God remains faithful. Faithful to us. This is what this table signifies. The bread and the cup. That we are in the strong grip of Christ even when our grip on him is not so strong. Don't be deceived, Redeemer family. Every good and perfect gift is from God above. So enjoy it. And don't elevate it. These gifts come down from the Father of heavenly lights. The strength that we need for our trials is found by turning daily to him. And he, unlike us, does not change in the shifting shadows. Because he delights in mercy. Because his name and his nature are love. And because, like the sun, it is natural for him to distribute his beams of eternal grace. Amen. Let's pray.